is time to tune up the band and make it rain for it is yet another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, joined as ever by Reardon and Dan. Hello, gentlemen, on this sweltering hot day. When I'm dying. When will it end? Uh, I, I really hope it is. I mean, like, come on, it's it's it. This is silly. This is getting silly. I, I was like, not designed for this. I thought at the tail end of summer, July was all right. We hadn't experienced hot weather, and then August comes along and says, ha, 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 "Look at how I can mess up your year even more." Um, <laughs> so as ever, we are giving you this podcast absolutely free of charge, thanks to those amazingly lovely people over at SoundCloud, pending. As ever, indefinitely. trademark. On other other platforms. So this episode. Oh, this episode I'm so, so hyped for. It is Sam's Guide to New Japan Pro Wrestling, where I get to gush about New Japan, where to start, what matches to watch, and who to look out for uh, as of right now and in the future. Um, I imagine it's probably going to be me talking for an hour and a half, and you just you guys smiling and waving for most of it. Nah, it will just be me occasionally saying names and like, yeah, I know that person. <laughs> I, I'm just like, what have we allowed to happen here, Dan? We've what given I- Sam creative control. Yeah, God, bro. Um, <laughs> but before- hey, look, it's better than giving me creative control, <laughs> bro. Mm, I mean. It was- <laughs> A lot more heavy metal just played. <laughs> I mean, that's early 2000s WWE right there. Touche. <laughs> Let's be honest. But Give you that. But before we get into full creative control that I have, let us uh, swing by to Dan's little corner there as we uh, check out this week's wrestling news. Dun, 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 dun. Wrestling news. Hey. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the best place to start is just going through the weekly review. Um, we've got to talk about Raw Underground. <laughs> Do we have to? Uh, <laughs> I think we have to, because oh. everyone's everyone's favourite somewhat uncool dad, Shane McMahon, now runs an un- underground fight club. With strippers? <laughs> I have no idea. Uh various people have been there. I don't know who it's designed for. That's been my big question. I don't know who the target audience is. Because <laughs> it can't be um, kids. Surely it can't be kids. Because if that is the case, then... Oh, boy. I, I mean, it's just... It's an underground fight club. But PG... I mean... I mean, the... I can only assume that Shane McMahon just watched the movie Fight Club and was just like, this will be a good idea. I get the feeling he's a massive fan as well of Josh Barnett's Bloodsport. He's what, he watched the past two incarnations of Bloodsport and thought to himself, you know what? I think we need to make this, but shittier. <laughs> I'm kind of like, yeah. I, I talked about this during the week and tried to like basically... Basically, say to Dan, put put down the gun, please. We love you. <laughs> Look, I'm not I'm not here, and I'm not saying that I hate the idea. If anything, the segment with Eric from uh, Viking Raiders was fantastic. He looked great. Mm. The only problem is, is I don't know who this is designed for. Because if you're like a casual fan, I don't know why you'd at all be invested in it. And if you're a, like a 
hard, more hardcore, active wrestling fan, why are you going to want to watch worked shoot fights? You're just going to want to watch wrestling. Or you just want to go back and watch old school Pancrase. Or better yet, in the style of it, you'd probably go and watch flipping Bloodsport or Kickboxer. <laughs> I like, look, they have the money. If, uh, if they're going to do this, they haven't gone far enough. <laughs> no, I, I was literally just like... Yeah, I'm like, if you're going to do this, like... Commit to it. Commit, yeah, like, where is, um, where is Shane McMahon's kind of, like, box seats with, like, a goblet? Where, why isn't he, like, Shang Tsung, is what I'm asking. <laughs> and I was going to say, why doesn't Baba Kato have two extra arms, then, in that case? Why, why hasn't... That's true. Why WWE not... Why hasn't... How, why haven't they just watched the Tiger Chen Keanu Reeves movie Man of Tai Chi and just gone, yeah, we're going to do that. In Look, in this case then, why in the hell have they not signed Glacier? Of all people they could have <laughs> signed Glacier. Why didn't they sign Glacier? I mean, just the, the thing about it is, is that I, I, I'm interested. I want to see where they're going to go with this because I don't really know what direction it's going to take. If if it lasts... This. If it lasts beyond like four weeks, then I'll be impressed because apparently Vince has said he likes it. Of course. Mm, what now. that actually means, I have no idea. I mean, point of order, Vince McMahon has liked a lot of things in the past and then changed. Yeah, and then like three weeks later, he's like, this is the worst it's thing the ever. Thing See Shayna Baszler. <laughs> um. So I have no idea where they're going with this. I mean, like people like Dolph Ziggler were turning up. Apparently, the Hurt Business came through and took over it like yep. an hour after it was even revealed to us. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. But I'm interested to see where they go with it and what they try and do with it. Uh, we've now have it confirmed that we now have Dominic Mysterio versus Seth Rollins at SummerSlam <laughs> in a kendo stick match. As far as I know, it's just Dominic versus Seth at SummerSlam. <laughs> that is weird as hell. It's yes. Um, I, I mean, I think I think the biggest problem with this match that I can foresee is I don't know who should win it mm. because if Dominic wins, then I don't see where that leaves Seth, and if Seth wins. I don't know, it just kind of seemed pointless. Yeah. Uh, I'm intrigued. We shall see what happens. Speaking of intrigued, we now have the very random storyline of Montez Ford being poisoned. Uh, as I said as I said to Sam, uh, th this just screams Bruce Pritchard, doesn't it? <laughs> A classic booking. I mean... Like if how, how, it's the ninjas, then we definitely know it's Bruce Pritchard. I have to ask. Oh my god, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I have to ask, how often has Bruce Pritchard been poisoned in real life? Uh, I'm guessing zero. I mean, judging by the way he always looked so red-faced as Brother Love, I'm willing to bet quite a bit. No, uh... 
<laughs> I mean, because, like, the way they sold it was that he was like, oh, look, he's, like, kind of stumbling around, and then he just fucking collapses in the ring. I mean, at least it wasn't a rehash of the whole Hawk storyline where he was drunk in the ring, let's be honest. That's true, that's I'm... probably a good idea. <laughs> we want the smoke. No, we don't want that kind of smoke. Please. Yeah. I, I Again, I, I, I just want to know where the hell they're going to go with this. I, I have no idea what to make of it. <laughs> I mean, if this is just planned to split up the Street Profits, then it's like... Well, oh, no. Good luck to ya. You just messed up yet another tag team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, finally, we have another women's tag team. In theory, because it hasn't been confirmed yet, but we had the brief reunion of the Riot Squad. Hey. Uh, Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot um, winning against the Iconics with a roll-up. Add that to the tally. Ah, ding! Um, I mean... Decent showing from them. Mm. I mean, it's the Riot Squad and the Iconics. It was pretty good. Finish mm. was a bit hokey, but eh. I'll take what I can get at this rate. Yep. I'll take roll up for 500, please, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I mean, Im impressive for them. Happy for them to get back on track. And now it leaves us with officially three women's tag teams in the entire division. <laughs> oh. Hey. And at the going rate of Sasha Banks and Bailey, we're gonna be left with two. <laughs> uh, we had the uh, Nia Jax has officially been suspended. I didn't realize referees Question had that kind mark? of power. Uh, well, <laughs> Pat Buck was there and apparently has the power to suspend her. So, oh, well, in that case, then. Uh. Does anyone yeah. have a legit, like, people out there, I wonder if there's a legit official rule book of WWE and the booking process and the and the HR department? Because I'd really like to read that. Oh, don't <laughs> worry. We're going to get we're going to get to their their rule book in a moment, because I believe <laughs> I believe a new rule has been written in. Uh, we, we now have it confirmed. Um Drew versus Randy Orton at SummerSlam for the WWE Championship. Uh, I mean, these two are great workers. They'll put on a great match together, no doubt. Mm. Um, I don't know how I feel about it. It's a logical assume... thing. I think that's... It, it, it's, it's a logical thing, and if they're trying to sell Drew as a babyface, having him work against Orton, um, who's probably, honestly, right now, the best heel at the company. Mm. Um... I mean, okay, on Raw then. Um, having having those two work uh, should be pretty great, um, and I feel like it will definitely elevate it, elevate Drew to that next level as well, and really bring out the best of each other. Um, just a quick side note: uh, we have the weird confrontation between Samoa Joe and Seth Rollins. Um, I don't know if this is building for a Samoa Joe return to in-ring action. Hope so, because I love him in-ring, and he, I think on commentary he's shown how great of a talker he can be, mm, um, and hopefully he's built his stock as an in-ring performer as well. I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah, give me more Joe all day, every day. <laughs> uh, moving on to NXT, we now have Dakota Kai as the number one contender to Io Shirai's NXT Women's Championship after beating Rhea Ripley. Mm. Uh, pretty great. 
great to see Dakota Kai getting that push, mm-hmm. um, moving that little step up, and I imagine she will have a great match with Io. Um, anything for you guys to say about it? I'm just kind of like, I, I am I'm stupid and just like mumbling to myself, Kai versus Shirai. Kai versus Shirai. Kai versus Shirai. That's all I got. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> If it's if it's any consolation, I did that exact same thing when I first read it back to myself. <laughs> uh, we had the return of Shane Fawn to in-ring action. Apparently, this is following a supposed push that he's meant to be receiving in NXT uh, after being taken off main roster. Yes, ah. um, I'm happy for this one. I've always been a big fan of of the Mighty Dunk Neil um, back in their days in Noah. Um, and so to see Shane not only kind of still there, which I'm happy for him, but to now finally they have something for him, it's nice to see. Um, as I said uh, to Dan before recording, he does have a good show, you can, um, which he, he does this week's uh, on this week's next. <laughs> but uh, no, with him, I mean, I think if you were going to do that, having a match with someone he knows very well in Bronson Reed, I think was probably the best call. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we had a possible feud building between uh, Legado del Fantasma and Brizango. Uh, be interesting to see how that develops, um, especially as they're uh, pushing Brizango much more in a kind of comedic angle. Um, mm. So having them work with someone quite serious like Legado del Fantasma could be interesting um, to see how it goes. Um, I think if you are going to build Phantasma, Brizango is not a bad place to start, but given that they've only recently returned to NXT, um, I think giving them a, giving Brizango a look in at those tag team titles wouldn't be a bad place to start. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Uh, we now have Damian Priest in the, in the ladder match. Uh, again, very interesting to see him there. Uh, we've now had it been told to us by William Regal that Dexter Loomis suffered an injury and is now longer, no, no longer competing. But to handle that, we now have a collection of singles matches between the people who were in the triple threat matches but didn't get pinned <laughs> competing to fill that additional space. Um, so, right now we have Bronson Reed and Damian Priest, and then I believe it's one of... Uh, Gargano, Balor, and, and, Rich, Holland, I and Rich Holland, I believe. Speaking of which, actually, and I know we discussed this um, earlier on in the week, actually about it, but I want to bring it up in uh, in in the uh, in the episode for this episode. Rich Holland made an amazing uh, NXT TV debut in that triple. Fight. Oh, fantastic! He was uh, he he, he was, he was a big fantastic wrestler and then some. <laughs> I was genuinely impressed with him. So no, a very a bloody good triple threat match from all three of them. Uh, but yeah, no, Holland's definitely. definitely, definitely had the spotlight shone on him and then some in that match. Yeah, no, well, I'm very interested to see what we'll be getting from Holland going forward. Um, as people have been saying, he definitely gives off that kind of Brock Lesnar vibe. Yeah. Um, pure pure powerhouse. For those that don't, for those that don't know, he was actually formerly a uh, rugby league player. I did not know that. Yeah. He played one game for whole KR. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone that follows Rugby League that also happens to listen to this podcast. That's uh, like all one person. Diagram. I'm a London Broncos uh, uh, OG right here when they used to play at uh, I don't follow, I hardly follow Rugby League. <laughs> so 
uh, and then uh, the rest the rest of it is we now have uh, Pat McAfee versus Adam Cole for TakeOver Xander Cage. <laughs> TakeOver Triple Sorry, sorry, TakeOver Triple X. That's a good interview. You just had to do it. Uh, but it almost, hey, I look, it's it. better than everyone else calling it TakeOver 18+. plus. <laughs> <laughs> He's not wrong. He's not, not wrong. wrong. At least I'm being inventive. <laughs> I mean, at least I mean that's one of the jokes we have here. But the fact that the that the most organically driven storyline we have right now in WWE is Adam Cole versus Pat McAfee really says something, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. There's 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 a there's a lot of people that have very confused about this. The first thing we are going to say is that Pat McAfee has actually been signed to WWE for some time. Quite, yeah, quite I've been while. working with them. Uh, if you remember the time after the Crown Jewel incident where NXT invaded main roster, Pat McAfee was actually there with them. Yep. And was oh. part of the uh, commentary team. Indeed. So, uh, I think people aren't quite, weren't quite aware of that, but we now have that set for TakeOver. Um, I don't really know what to make of it. It's um, a hell of a punt. If anyone hasn't seen it, go back and watch the highlights of it. Because he I mean, punts the to, hell out of it. To be, to be expected by a guy who was an NFL punter. <laughs> <laughs> it is what he does. Like, that is his remit. <laughs> and it is, it is worth saying for anyone that doesn't actually know Pat McAfee, he is a very odd physical shape for a punter in that he's about, like, six foot. Yeah. And massive and if you've never seen the tackle that he did on someone trying to return the punt it's fucking incredible it look it looks like a Keith Lee pounce yes <laughs> like you know you know that you know that one of Keith Lee pouncing um Adam Cole into the audience oh yeah it's like that <laughs> uh then getting into smackdown we had the uh the appearance of this new faction who's called Retribution. No, sorry. it's pr You know how it's pronounced, Dan. Oh, sorry. Do you want to do the honours for me? Retribution! There you go. Um, <laughs> but they, they, they appeared and did things in an empty ring and attacked some of the NXT talent who were standing in as fans. Um... It's kind of interesting to follow this. Um, as these two will know, I've made such comparisons to them as B-Tech Nexus um, and WWE's version of Antifa. Oh, well, that's going <laughs> to um, But they were just kind of there <laughs> yeah. and, like, destroyed a ring. One of them, like, slightly threatened Corey Graves. How dare that? Um, again, apparently, people don't even know who's actually meant to be in this faction. Because <laughs> if I remember, if I remember you rightly telling me actually just before recording, some of these people are actually stand-ins, aren't they, for the actual people that well, are going to supposedly pay part? As of this? as 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 far as I can understand, um, it's not. It doesn't seem to be quite decided who's actually in this faction. Mm. And wow. so, they seem to possibly be using people standing in as like underneath the outfits, 
to then decide who's actually in it. Two people that have been identified as being part of the ones that were involved in this one were uh, Chelsea Green and Vanessa Bourne, who most people were saying they could pretty confidently tell from their voices. Um, but if things are to follow, uh, Dominic Dijakovic was also seemingly supposed to be part of this, but uh, no one matching Dijakovic's description appeared. Mm. You know what this screams and stinks of? I don't know, we've discussed this before in a previous episode, but the whole standing things, not too sure who they are, masks, greeting havoc. Don't this just stink of Aces and Eights to you guys? That has been another comparison that has been brought up. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, at least we know for definite that one of them has to be Terry Funk because they had a chainsaw and started sawing the ring ropes off. So one of them is definitely Terry Funk confirmed. <laughs> Terry Funk retires for the 19th time. Forever! It's, it's gotta be true. It's gotta be true by now. <laughs> sure. No, he's um, still live and kicking. Yeah, somehow. Um, we now have the announcement for uh, SummerSlam that is going to be Sasha Banks versus Asuka for the Raw Women's title. <laughs> and then we, we're going to have a, a free brand battle royale to decide who is the number one contender for Bailey's SmackDown Women's Championship. Huh. <laughs> and then Bailey said that Stephanie McMahon was to thank for the women's evolution. End scene. Yeah, that makes sense. That, the way he said that is like when you're just talking to someone and then they casually mentioned that 9 11 was an inside job. <laughs> Look. This I'm just I'm trying to repeat what was given to me, but I'm trying to I'm trying to understand it. But basically, because they're trying to sell the concept of the brand split, and uh, as we as we understand, there's meant to be a draft happening soon. That hasn't been confirmed though, but I believe it's I believe it's due for October, but it hasn't been confirmed. But we now have a free brand battle royale to decide who gets the SmackDown Women's Championship. And I'm just trying to think about the booking here. Hmm. Who do you pick? Yeah. Because then I assume that would have to con coincide with that person going to SmackDown yeah. if they win. But yeah. then what's the point in having the battle royale if Bailey's gonna lose if Bailey's gonna win? Mm. Uh... Remind me, is um is the Kai Shirai match happening at SummerSlam. No, that's happening at TakeOver. Alright, the only way I could see it is that Shirai loses at TakeOver and then goes into SummerSlam and wins and becomes SmackDown champion. I could see her going to SmackDown, personally. Yeah, that's a possibility. I'm just here saying, look, Rhea Ripley lost against Dakota Kai. Goes into the battle royale, wins, becomes SmackDown Women's Champion, Rhea Ripley on SmackDown. That is also one that makes sense. <laughs> Damn, uh, you got. Um, May Young wins it. That's the one that seems to make sense. Stephanie well. McMahon awards the belt to herself. <laughs> oh, don't you dare say that. <laughs> you know what? I can see it. I can, honest to God, see it. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, next, we are talking the weird jumbled mess of Sheamus, Baron Corbin, Matt Riddle, and Chad Gable. I refuse to call him by his other name. Um, as we understand it, uh, Chad Gable has now made a full heel turn. Um, and got involved in a match between Sheamus and Matt Riddle, which meant Sheamus got disqualified, which then meant Sheamus had a match with Baron Corbin, which Matt Riddle interfered in. Um, and then Baron Corbin had a match against Jeff Hardy. Anyone still following? Because I'm not. Nope. <laughs> I tried reading that out and I couldn't follow it. <laughs> I mean, all I'm saying is, right, in this whole thing, we all are clamouring for Chad Gable to be Chad Gable again, but knowing knowing Vince, he'll change his name from Shorty G to Evil G. Don't tell give me, him ideas. I was going to say, tell me that that won't happen, because it flipping will. Alright, so moving on to the next bit, The Fiend had a great promo <laughs> along with Bray Wyatt at the Firefly Funhouse. Um, I just want to say this really quickly. If Vince McMahon knew anything about culture other than wrestling, his name would be... Sh his name would definitely be Schooly G, without question. Without question. <laughs> Quickly, Dad, please. Oh well, yes, yeah. Bray Wyatt uh, promo was very good as usual. Yeah, great, great as usual. Um, <laughs> fantastic uh, segment with her, with uh, Alexa Bliss and the Fiend. Um, I know people have been very seem very confused to it, but I think it's just they kind of just doing a. A homage to kind of classical horror movies. Yeah. Um, people have been drawing comparisons between like Beauty and the Beast. Apparently, Alexa Bliss is a massive Disney fan, so they're probably just like, "Fuck it, we'll do this." So she is a massive Disney fan. That's confirmed. Yeah. But it's fantastic for them. Yeah. That makes sense as well. <laughs> Uh, and then finally for SmackDown, we've got a Cesaro singles win. Hell yes, even though it's just another part of a tag team feud. Looks like we're getting Lucha House Party versus uh, Cesaro Nakamura. Um, possibly at SummerSlam. Hasn't been announced yet, though. I was going to say, do they have but, a tag I mean, name yet? Or is there, or, or are, is there an unofficial tag name? The underutilized talents of WWE that should be on the main event. It doesn't roll a, off the tongue, does it? That, that's a stable, not a tag team. Yeah. Uh, I I I don't know. As far as I know, they are still just Cesaro and Nakamura. <sighs> the the continental the the continental top guys. Uh, the irony being they're not top guys. <laughs> uh, oh, well, just quickly going off into the rest of the news. Uh, quick aside note here: um, if you do follow wrestlers. And that you do like them, please respect their privacy. Don't do weird things. Mm. Don't send things to family members' houses. Please respect the performers that you like. Yes, um, I think this follows on, if I remember correctly. Yeah, following on from uh, Ethan Page yeah. saying that his uh, either his mother or his grandmother received a parcel from a fan wanting things signed. It's just Oof. don't do that. Don't. Just don't don't do it. 
Stop it. Uh, Get some help. (laughs) Stop it. Get some help. Um, We had the launch of AEW's uh, AEW Heels. Um, It's certainly come under a lot of fire. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of that's relating to the uh, $49, I guess, subscription fee. It's an annual fee. There's no pay monthly option as yet, as I understand it. Mm. Um, I think a lot of it is just from coming from the understanding of the platform because i initially took it as to be a uh like a professional platform Mm. Mm. so for women in wrestling that want to i don't know develop develop further this was this service was designed for them but it seems to be that they're selling it a lot more based on fan interaction yeah um and so for fan interaction i don't know whether i can really justify the paywall Mm, same. Um, I think just a lot of it is not really knowing where it's not really knowing where it's coming from. Obviously, Brandy Rhodes has faced a lot of backlash over her handling of it. I think a lot of that is coming down to her fact that she was answering tweets, legitimate type concerns about this thing. Yeah. In character, which. Uh, yeah. I guess in a public relations uh, scenario, isn't the best way to go about it. Yeah, it isn't wasn't really the best way to go about it. Cody come under some fire as well uh, for his handling of it, and just for AEW's women's division in general, which is its own thing. Yeah, we mm. could. That's um, a whole can of worms. <laughs> yeah, all I'll say is this: aid on AEW Dynamite, the women's division got four minutes. It was a squash match. Yeah, uh, four minutes out of a two-hour broadcast. Yeah. Um, but it it's it just seems weird that a company that spoke so highly of making this an intention uh, have been so committed to not supporting it. Um, and I know they're trying. I know they're saying they're giving women their own platform via the broadcast over YouTube. But YouTube and television are very different things. Yeah. You know, if you want to commit to it and say that the women's stuff is going to be there and that's going to be the women's platform, honestly. I'm not against it, but if you're mm. not even going to provide a recap on Dynamite, what's the point? Exactly. Where's the promo? Where's the promotion? Where's the pe- where are you telling people to go to this? Exactly. You can't you can't do this sort of thing through word of mouth. I mean, you could, you could uh, possibly, but like, uh, yeah, just for something yeah, like this, you definitely need the promotion. <laughs> Uh, I following on with AEW, apparently they're holding off on pushes until fans come back. This just kind of comes from concerns about obviously you can't really tell how over people are without the the, the in live crowd reaction, mm. uh, and they want to leave some of the bigger storyline movements until they have fans back. Um, I think this is a. I mean, I think this is a good idea. I don't know how sustainable it is in the long run. Yeah. Um, um, I think you're going to be left with a stale product depending on how things go. Yeah. Mm. Only one way to find out, I suppose. Exactly. Yep. And this is a thing where they're kind of they they they're kind of over a barrel with the current goings on in the world. So because, God, uh, it's so uncertain as to when everything can go to being a live crowd again. Uh following on with wwe as far as we know right now ray mysterio is to re-sign with wwe as we know it hey. um 
there just... was a lot of speculation surrounding him going to AEW. Doesn't seem to be the case. Mm. That honestly surprises me quite a bit. Yeah. Huh. Uh, it seemed like him to AEW was actually pretty much confirmed. Yeah. Uh, and then the next following bits are just relating to uh, pushes. Uh, so as we understand it, Mustafa Ali has had his push killed by Vince. Vince seems unconvinced in him. I don't know why. Uh, Mike well, that- Bennett, also known as Mike Canellis, uh, came out saying um, with a tweet in support of Ali saying, it's incredible having uh, Mustafa Ali in your roster and not making him a top guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Supposedly he was in position to be the SmackDown hacker. Got no payoff to that. Yeah. So, why isn't he fighting again against Drew? That's a match. Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> that's all I can. If I knew the reason. answer, I would tell you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but supposedly, uh, Vince now sees Bianca Belair and Peyton Royce as positive pushes for singles competitors. I'm just going to say this, don't want the Iconics to split. I love the Iconics too much. Um, And I want to know how he's only just seen Bianca Belair as a legitimate singles champion for the women's division. I want to know. Tell me. (laughs) He's been been too busy eating steak. How how has it taken him until now to see that? (laughs) Begging you. Don't think about it. You'll just drive yourself insane. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, it just it just blows my mind that it's taken this long. She's so much more than just being the manager and on-screen husband of Montez Ford and the Street Profits. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the athletics and the ability that she's got in ring, and she can cut a good promo as well, she'll only get better with more time. Um, you know it kind of makes me wonder again, as we said about uh, Zelina Vega and the fact that she's not being allowed to show her in-ring skills. Maybe that's a choice by her, Mm. but um, it's it's honestly surprising. Uh, Just the last few pieces, uh, there has been some speculation over Tyson Kidd returning to in-ring action. Honestly, I'd be amazed if it does happen. That'd be incredible. Like, I know a lot of people, you know, uh, talk about the returns of Daniel Bryan, um, and all sorts, but uh, that would be that'd be nothing short of a freaking miracle if Tyson Kidd is able to get back. Well, I mean, they said at the time it was one of those injuries that like ninety eight percent of the people like don't walk again, and then of those people that walk again, like two percent of them end up like actually being able to like go back to normal life. Mm. Yeah, uh, a, comp- a very underrated talent. Um, oh, horrendously underrated. Uh, a, a phenomenal worker as well, especially during his time uh, being in the tag team with Cesaro, so I think it would be nothing but great if if that is true and Tyson is able to get back in the ring. And then just the final news story, um, seems like we could be in line for some kind of uh, AEW and Impact interpromotional match series. <clears throat> uh, seems to be in early, early workings. Um, but some people have, some people within the companies have expressed desire for it to happen. Um, following on from the signing of the Good Brothers, um, Impact seemed to be developing some kind of working relationship with New Japan as well. Mm. Uh, dependent on what the form that takes, but um, it seems like everything here is in quite quite early workings. 
but uh, would be definitely interesting to see an interpromotional series as we hardly ever get into promotional stuff oh, um at least in at least in top companies absolutely i mean we were talking about this as well before recording me and dan and um, we were talking about just the potential that this has if um not only if it were to be uh <coughs> aew and impact we could get you know the good brothers versus the elite we could get the we could get the conclude i guess the concluding chapter of the bucks versus the the motor city machine guns um we could have flipping John Moxley going up against Sammy Callahan. It's just the the potential for that is amazing. Um, but just thinking back as well to um, we were also talking about the potential possibly you know if this happens then the potential of NWA forming a relationship a working partnership and finally having Nick Aldis as NWA champion getting on a massive platform like AEW would be amazing because that guy is truly truly come into his own the past few years and definitely deserves that platform for sure um so yeah like i'd be definitely all for it i know people think of it as very gimmicky but who doesn't want to see a dream card of several promotions going up against each other yeah i mean that's just the big thing really like i said we just don't get this kind of thing there are very few of these events and even you know often this happening purely in indies Mm-hmm. Um, with much smaller approaches that kind of have to work together. Yeah. Um, so getting this kind of thing on a big scale, even for just a one-off event, would be fantastic. In- I, I, I'm not really surprised, considering how um, lax AEW has been with wrestlers kind of going to different promotions, doing their own little bits and pieces. So, mm. that, so that doesn't surprise me, but it is interesting to hear it becoming like an official thing mm. i look forward to i look forward to seeing if it does come to fruition for sure absolutely mm. with that we have the news yes. so on to the main portion <laughs> i've been very excited to do this since we kind of decided well, since we started talking about this pod- podcast being a thing um and i have collated my notes and research and i, I kind of want to preface this to anyone listening that the opinions expressed uh, of myself are purely of my own and i don't want anyone to take this as gospel i don't want anyone you know saying oh those were terrible decisions i just want to kind of make that known that this is my opinion it's not the opinion of a dave Meltzer or a brian alvarez if you want to listen to those guys they're probably much they are far more knowledgeable on wrestling as a whole product than I ever will be. But um, (laughs) we will get straight ahead. We will go straight ahead with Sam's Guide to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Now, another little aside. I want to make another little aside. Most of my research not only came from scouring the internet, but uh, the the great wrestling or Japanese wrestling knowledge of one Chris Cholton, who you should definitely check out. He is now the color co- play-by-play commentator, I should say, for New Japan, but also wrote two amazing books on Japanese wrestling. Uh, Lion's Pride, which is all about the history of New Japan, and Eggshells, the history of wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. I highly recommend those uh, for reading, uh, especially if you want to expand your mind and get to know a little bit more about Japanese wrestling. But apart from that, let's get move straight on to my little guide and start with where to start so the first question i want to pose to you gentlemen is what is your knowledge 
of Japanese wrestling as of right now. Dan, do you want to take it? Uh, yeah, I'll take the floor. Uh, it's basically New Japan as like a promotion and stardom slash a bit of Joshi wrestling. <laughs> That's like most of my knowledge of Japanese wrestling. As I said to you before, most of mine is just names. <laughs> I just know like various people and not much else. I know a couple of guys who made their name in Japanese wrestling and JoJo memes featuring them. <laughs> you know what? That's, is... that's very good base to start, if I'm honest, Reardon. <laughs> Just JoJo memes, basically. <laughs> and um, on, as, as, on a, a slight a side note, watching little clips and being like, why is the camel work so much better? Dear God. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, definitely not wrong. So, I'm glad you. I'm glad you. You guys have said that. So, where to start with New Japan specifically? I know a lot of people will probably be like, "Oh, why aren't you talking about All Japan?" Trust me, we will get to All Japan Pro Wrestling in the future, uh, especially when I talk about certain wrestlers in particular down the line so do not worry we will talk about all japan eventually but for this episode i wanted to get these guys started with probably the most mainstream well-known promotion in japan so where to start let's start with a little brief a very cliff note brief history on new japan as a whole now back in the 50s japan pro wrestling alliance was formed under well basically the kind of kingpin of Japanese wrestling at that time. A Korean Japanese former Rikishi uh, of the sumo world, Ricky Dozan, uh, considered possibly, yeah, the grandfather of Pure Resu. Um, started off, as I said, as a sumo, but had to retire due to, as he said, financial issues. But a lot of people did speculate that that was kind of mostly due to probably racial uh, tensions as well, him being a Korean born. Japanese sumo uh, but apparently he took to it like a fish to water and ended up being probably one of the most successful at that time wrestlers um, so much so that he ended up forming his own promotion now I could go on and make a whole biopic on Ricky Dozan um, but I highly recommend you go off and show and at least watch some of the clips that he has of wrestling because he was looming good in that ring but I think more interesting is kind of how he not only did he form Big Japan, but unfortunately how he ended up uh, dying. Um, he died at a very young age. Uh, I think it was thirty nine. He he passed away, and it was in very that is young, very young, uh, very young, and it was um, very dubious circumstances. Now, from what I've read and from what I've seen, um, this I can't be hundred percent confirmed on this one. So anyone who does know the history of Ricky Dozan, please do correct me. But um, Ricky Dozan was unfortunately murdered um, in a Japanese bar by a member of the Yakuza um, who stabbed him in the middle of the bar. But he actually didn't die of the stab wound. He actually died of poisoning um, because the knife was actually lined with urine. Oh. It, yeah, it's a very it, it's a very weird cliff note to have. But um, That more... is a plot device. <laughs> A plot device and a half, but apparently um, 
of course, as a lot of people will probably know through the history of kind of sports and sporting uh, events, that uh, that the Yakuza and sporting events kind of weave into one another and some things had happened um, here, there and everywhere. But, you know, that is a whole different kind of ball game that we, <laughs> that we could get into that I'm not going to get into. So... The formation of New Japan. At the time in Japan Pro Wrestling Alliance, two people stood at the top. Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki. Now, both of them being the top drawers of that company and not kind of wanting to falter from where they were on the card, decided that they were going to give in and decided, ah, screw it, we'll just make our own promotions. So, Giant Baba goes off with the sons of Ricky Dozan and forms All Japan Pro Wrestling. As I said, we'll get to we'll get to All Japan in the future. <laughs> Antonio Inoki in 1972 forms New Japan Pro Wrestling. And so, yeah, we see the golden age in the 80s with Hulk Hogan becoming the first ever IWGP World Heavyweight Champion by defeating Inoki. Um, of course, his stock rises so far that, of course, Inoki has that dream match against Muhammad Ali. Hell yeah. In what was considered the birth of mixed martial arts. Now, if anyone's seen that, I don't know if you two have seen it, but it's just like several rounds of, of Ali standing and Inoki on the ground kicking him in the shins. Pretty much. Because <laughs> I think, I, 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 look, say what you will about Inoki, he's mad. But say what you will about Anoki, but he was a bit smart in knowing that he couldn't take him standing and striking. So what's the best thing to do? Get on the ground and kick him. Like, Anoki's one of those people where he's mad, but in a weird way, that madness is kind of an asset. <laughs> it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. I'll say that much. <laughs> I mean, if you know just how kind of like big Anoki was he was considered one of the sex symbols of japan and one of the most biggest name uh, mainstream figures he was in every commercial every ad every tv spot Anoki's face was plastered almost pretty much everywhere uh, i remember specifically i think it was a deodorant commercial where he was dressed as um, as tarzan uh, if you can find that on youtube i highly recommend go for, go watching that <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we have the golden age of the 80s, uh, the 90s as well, giving rise uh, to the junior heavyweights. It's still at this time that Anoki is still kind of running things, even though he's no longer president. But then we get into the, the 2000s and the burgeoning rise and popularity of mixed martial arts. And Anoki being Anoki, being mad and considering that he was the father of mixed martial arts, decides, oh, you see what? No, we're going to be more shoot wrestling. So I'm going to get these guys in to go into Pride and face off against Mirko Krokop. That never ended well. Of course. It, it didn't end well. And this is, of course, at the time where Tanahashi and Nakamura and um, all of these guys were coming up. And they were being forced into doing mixed martial arts matches. Again, when we said Inoki is mad, like, he, he is genuinely mad. <laughs> uh, like, I think this is going to be a reverse Pokedex situation for this. For... <laughs> right. Im imagine... imagine... Actually, here's a thing. Uh, Ridden, can you please Pokedex for me the Brawl for All? Uh, oh, shit. <laughs> okay. The Brawl for All. 
widely considered to be one of the dumbest ideas that WWE has ever done. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the brawl for all was quite simple. We get our wrestlers and we get them to basically fight as boxers for real to see who is the toughest act, who is the literal toughest man in the locker room. Uh, this failed because <laughs> those are not boxers. It's an entirely different skill set. And it actually ended people's careers. Dr. Death, Steve Williams, yeah. for example. <laughs> I highly, highly recommend anyone who's interested to watch the Dark Side of the Ring episode. Which Absolutely. One of the best episodes of Dark Side of the Ring, and they've been had some really good episodes. It to further details, but it's a bad idea. Mm. Now, at this time, obviously, everyone knows and dubs this time of New Japan as Enochiism. And this was when wrestling was really in a downtide, not just for New Japan, but for every other company. All Japan were in the doldrums um, after uh, Mitsuharu Misawa went off and formed his own promotion, Pro Wrestling Noah. Um, Noah, not, o not only were they putting on great matches, but it was just a shame that they weren't drawing the numbers. And so Misawa, being the president and of course being one of the, the biggest draw of the company, decides that... If I can only bring in the numbers as myself, I have to go in there and keep doing the style that I've been doing for the nearly 20 years. Unfortunately, as most people know, that would be the ultimate kind of fate and probably bad thing for Masara as he passed away in the ring in 2009. Yeah. Uh, but, um, at, uh, but back to New Japan. Um, in 2005, Anoki finally departs New Japan, sharing his share of the company to Yuke's of all places. Hell yeah! And his son-in-law took over for the company uh, before he dropped down as president to join his father's uh, his father-in-law's promotion. And this, of course, sees in 2007 them leaving Anokiism and then going back to its more established Puro Risu style of wrestling. And thus we have now the resurgence and indeed the, the, the boom period, I guess the, I guess you could call it the new golden age of New Japan. Yeah. Where we have Wrestle Kingdom every January 4th at the Tokyo Dome. We've seen the rise of uh, Tanahashi being, I guess, the ace or the John Cena of the company. Uh, he was actually kind of single-handedly keeping that company up in the time of Anokiism, um, even when he was stabbed by his former lover <laughs> in the back. A lot of stabbing going on in Japan. I've I've just realised. Yeah, it kind of is, it's a recurring kind of storyline thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, them having a a working relationship with TNA at that time, uh, bringing in guys as such as Samoa Joe, Kurt Angle, uh, Team 3D, the Machine Guns. Uh, going up with these guys that bringing their talent over to TNA to establish them as well, which of course saw the dunderheaded decision of making Okada the Green Hornets Kato. I don't ask me why that was. I mean, that's the reason why TNA ended its relationship with New Japan. Well, New Japan ended its relationship, I should I say, with TNA. Literally, literally about to ask why before you said don't ask me why. Please don't. Please I don't know. I think. 
In all honesty, I think it was a booking decision, a creative decision, because they feel that they had nothing for Okada, and I think apparently they he they did not see him as a charisma magnet. Uh, how funny they would eat their words when he returned to New Japan, adopted, Okada, a new, by the way. <laughs> adopted this brand new gimmick of the Rainmaker to go up against Tanahashi. And of course, you know, the, the amazing resurgence of every, you know, every wrestler now, uh, the big events that they have going across the world to put on events and opening a, a brand new dojo in Los Angeles as well, with Katsuyuri Shibata being the head coach. So it's safe to say that New Japan right now, as of right now, is in a great position. Even with everything that's going on in the year of our Lord 2020, I still think New Japan are in a, a very good, stable position, not only with their yeah. talent, but with, uh, with their shows and the show content as well. So. Yeah, they're definitely in a solid position. I know some people have been saying that some of the decisions they've made recently have been questionable. At best. <laughs> At best. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I have two notes for that. First of all, Sam, it, Sam, I must ask, mm. which are you referring to when you say Year of Our Lord 2020, frankly? Oh, <laughs> man. Uh, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Are we talking the about the apocalypse? Because I'm sure we're talking about the apocalypse right now. Yeah. Second of all, yeah, it is very interesting that at, that of looking at this golden age, because quite frankly, it's like more people know that Japanese wrestling is a thing. Yes. I think it's the most interesting thing about it. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's so now more readily accessible than it was in the 90s in the 90s you had to do tape trading in order to know of these iconic matches that were taking place over in japan whereas now you can just search it up on youtube and you've got a whole kind of encyclopedia of content there um well yeah no, there's a um, the there's there's a couple um uh projects on twitter that are people literally just cataloging various uh japanese wrestlers matches indeed Indeed, as well as just like guys doing the, the, the God's work of making gifts of certain moments of great New Japan matches. May I add, go follow Sir Lariato as well. He's, he is really good in cataloging really good gifts of Japanese matches. But to go back to the first question of where to start, this is, uh, this is an interesting one. Because I always find if I was going to go to two people who never knew anything about wrestling... I would not necessarily go to, say, to start with the 90s, because it's very, very intimidating to go to like the, the late 80s, 90s era, when you have so many good matches and so many good wrestlers. I mean, the one I could bring up is, I don't know, if you wanted me to start you there, the series of matches between Tiger Mask and the Dynamite Kid immediately spring to mind. Um, we could also talk about the Super J Cup, where you had, you know, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Jushin Thunder Liger, um, all of these guys in an amazing tournament to determine who was the best junior heavyweight in the world. So not only did you have guys from New Japan, you had guys from WCW as well. Uh, at that time, they had the, their, their working relationship and were bringing guys in from there to, of course, find out who was the best junior heavyweight. Those amazing matches. And if you can, try and find the uh, Black Tiger, Eddie Guerrero, versus Wild Pegasus match. Um, a phenomenal technical masterpiece of a match and definitely a highlight of that time. But I would say for you two, 
Mm-hmm. The best way place to start would definitely be Okada versus Tanahashi um, back in 2013-2014 when Okada had just returned from his stint in TNA and had debuted the new Rainmaker gimmick. And immediately after Wrestle Kingdom, after Tanahashi had just defended the IWGP Championship, does Okada come out, cuts him off mid-promo and makes his intentions clear. He's back and he wants that title. Now, most people, when a new person comes in after they've just been a young lion and have gone off for their international excursion, would not be ballsy enough to challenge the, the heavyweight champion. But this was a changing time, and this was a brand new Okada. And yeah, this is Okada. But... <laughs> and so they proceeded to have, and I, I think still, like it's an ongoing rivalry of who is the better man and who is the true ace of New Japan. Funnily enough, Two, I think after his second match with Tanahashi, Okada wins the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Um, no, honestly, if I was to pick, you try try your absolute best to search uh, for the Okada-Tanahashi rivalry. As a matter of fact, there was a very good video chronicling this entire rivalry from a YouTuber called Showbuckle, but New Japan and Bushi Road kind of cut yep. that and copyrighted that video faster. Here's the thing to say, say New Japan have been going around like just copywriting content that contains video clips of this. <laughs> Very true indeed. So now where to start? Who to kind of what matches should you go and look out for indeed? Man, as I said, if you want to go for something like right now, I mean, the obvious, the obvious choice would be the uh, the quadrilogy of matches between Okada and Omega. I think those now live in such yep. infamy that I don't think even your, mo- your your Joe Blow, nobody casual wrestling fan, would probably know or be aware at the very least of the Okada Omega matches. Now, question: yeah. Have you guys seen any of those matches? So I've I- seen one of them. I have not seen any of them, but I will say one very interesting thing for me is that I knew of Kenny Omega from those matches, hearing about them. So they must be really damn good if I've been hearing about them for that long. Mm. If I think this really shows just how not only did um, New Japan go back to its uh, strong style, Puro Risu, but also how good those two are at crafting a story. Now, I know the argument goes that these matches are, are way too long, they are a bit convoluted, and it's like finish, spam, finish spamming. Um, but I think if you want to get a really true good appreciation of an ebb and, ebb and flow of a Japanese match, yeah, I would recommend starting with those. I think those are the most readily accessible ones as well. So it, it doesn't hurt to have those ones. I can honestly think that those matches can be like sliced down to 20 minutes, if I'm honest. Yeah. <laughs> but it is what it is. Um, I've, I've had this um, thing with with um, Japanese wrestling and NXT, as I've mentioned, where <laughs> I know they're good. I really do. I can see the talent and the work and the effort and the athleticism. But they're just too goddamn long. I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, as you guys know, I'm a big Japanese wrestling fan. And even I will admit that New Japan matches are just too damn long sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it is quite intimidating for someone coming towards it and then seeing, like, a 40-minute match. Mm, indeed. Um, I know for myself, it kind of introduced me to the, I mean, the differences in style between 
uh, what I know in like typically mm. US wrestling uh, and Japanese wrestling. Um, and that like a lot more of it just is about the storytelling in the ring. Indeed. That's Indeed. that's kind of it. Um, that's... And I think for what it's trying to, for what they're trying to achieve, the two of them there in Okada and Omega really, really sell that. Yeah, no, indeed. I, I highly, highly agree with that one. I think it's just as well. I think uh, when I tell people about New Japan, it's like, don't go into it with the expectation of it being a lot like WWE. Think of it as a sports presentation wrestling show. Because that's the best way I've always described. New yeah, Japan. it it definitely leans into the sports angle more because it's not there's less promos and more press conferences. Exactly, yeah. and and it's Ailey... less like spectacular mm. and more like considered. Indeed, I feel as well as they they leave time as well to build up um, a rivalry. So rather than have it kind of blow off on their next pay per view. They give it time. They put these guys in multi-man tag matches, so they're opposite sides facing off here, there, and everywhere. But the big blow-off match always usually happens at the big shows. Dominion, uh, Sakura Genesis, uh, the G, uh, G1 Climax, or Wrestle Kingdom. Um, speaking of Wrestle Kingdom, if I was to give you another match to recommend, if you really kind of wanted to get a good base start um, as well, and you don't want to watch Okada versus Omega then I highly recommend two matches, as, as a matter of fact. I recommend Nakamura versus AJ Styles at Wrestle Kingdom 12. Uh, yes. This was, the this was the last match these two had in New Japan before going off to WWE. And trust me, if you've been put off with that match at WrestleMania that they had, go back and watch this one. Seriously, because these, yeah, these two do work well together, but it's just a shame when they that, have WWE booking on them. showed... I mean, that match was the reason I got excited for the match at WrestleMania. Yes. Because I, I have seen what these two can do together. Yeah. Um, and these two are so capable of you know, the in-ring storytelling. Like I said, they, they work together in New Japan. Um, and it just... The two of them have just this sense of working together and getting the best out of each other. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, another match I would actually highly recommend also involves Nakamura. As a matter of fact, it's, uh, it is Nakamura versus Carl Anderson at the G1 Climax, which was... Now, a lot of people I know, when they think of Carl uh, Anderson in the States, think of him as a tag wrestler. But here's yeah. the thing. Carl Anderson, not only was he such a successful um, tag wrestler, not only with Giant Bernard... Prince Albert, if you didn't know, and uh, yep. Luke Gallows. But he was billed and honestly like booked to be a bloody good singles wrestler as the machine gun. And this match, I think, really exemplifies just how good Carl Anderson can be as a singles wrestler. Not only that, but the blending of American style and uh Pura Risu is, is incredible in this match. I know not yeah. a lot of people, it's not highly kind of like talked about, um, but uh, as I said, this is my opinion. This is my episode. <laughs> so I, I highly recommend going and trying to find, at least find some clips of that match. Uh, yeah, I will say incredible. this as an aside thing. Um, it is just because you are a good 
singles wrestler does not always mean you're a good tag wrestler. And just because you're a good tag wrestler does not always mean you're a good singles wrestler. <laughs> so to be both is honestly quite impressive. Indeed. And Carl Anderson really does show how well he can work in so many different situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, with those matches, I highly recommend that as a starting point. Now, gents, if you're feeling adventurous and definitely want to try and dip your toes into um, into the 90s, into the golden age, then I would highly recommend, and as I've talked about it, highly recommend at least trying to find one or two matches from the Super J Cup of either 1994, which took place in New Japan, or the 1995 Super J Cup, which took place in WAR, or as it's known, Wrestling and Romance, which is the most Japan promotion name I think I've ever heard, and that, I love it. That so is. <laughs> I got, I'm not going to lie, Wrestling and Romance sounds like it would appeal greatly my taste is it any good <laughs> no honestly uh for the promotion that gave uh us ultimo dragon and uh, that gave us chris jericho it's it's not a bad promotion at all like tenryu when he moved from all japan and formed uh, war wanted to bring not only that king's road style that all japan was famous for but also because he was a representative and appeared in wwe wanted to bring that american style over so I'd say if you can find some WAR matches as well, go for it. If you're not convinced by the match choices I've given you, go go watch WAR. Or any Kota Ibushi matches, as a matter of fact. Hell yeah, Kota Ibushi. Great segue into the wrestlers you should be watching uh, or you should be looking out for. Now, honestly, my answer for this when I actually was doing notes was like, well, the entire New Japan roster, but that seems a bit like of a cop out, if I'm honest. <laughs> because, in all honesty, though, like if if you really kind of want to like put your finger on the pulse of who you should be looking out for, I would say the roster. But we're here. If I'm gonna have to pick out a certain number of wrestlers you should be looking out for as of right now, um, then I guess you know Kota Ibushi is definitely one. Uh, if, if you want to talk about a modern day legend and a guy who's innovated wrestling, um, not only just in New Japan, but for the sheer silliness of what he used to do in DDT Pro, highly recommend watching Kota Ibushi. This is the man who's had a wrestling match with a mannequin. Actually, I say a mannequin, it was actually a sex doll, but I digress. Welcome ah. to DDT Pro. <laughs> <laughs> um... I know we've mentioned him a number of times, but uh, I guess we could, yeah, we talk about Okada. I could hype Okada up so much, um, but, you know, I think a lot of people have already said what I would say. This man is, a re there is a reason why he was voted number one in the Pro Wrestling Illustrated's top 500 wrestlers. There's a reason why he is considered probably this generation's Ric Flair. And there is yep, a reason. That's, probably, that's actually surprisingly accurate. And there is a reason why he probably has one of the greatest taunts and entrance and some of the greatest entrances of all time is because Okada's Okada. And I feel a lot of people probably would have seen his time in TNA as a negative. What I kind of really appreciate about Okada is that he took it as a positive and went, you know what? I'm going to take everything I learned gimmicks wise about American wrestling, bring it over to New Japan adopt a new finisher and then just go crazy with it and now look at okada not only is he the biggest face of 
of New Japan. He's been in everything from uh, from commercials to the the Japanese version of the Happy Music video for Pharrell uh, to being in so many anime as himself. May I add? <laughs> Rainmakering most of the cast and characters he's in there with. Where is my rainmaker in JoJo? <laughs> oh my god! Soon enough. To... Actually, funny enough, I you want say that. Okada doing the JoJo stance. It's funny enough. Give you... it to me. <laughs> I'm glad now. you said that, Dan, because uh, of course, as everyone knows, probably one of the more famous ones was his inclusion as an unlockable costume for King in Tekken Seven where his super art is changed to the Rainmaker. Hell yes. <laughs> I, hey, one, I didn't know that, but I got to ask while we're like, I, maybe, maybe you can answer this at the end when you've done all this, but mm. I'm, I don't know actually a lot about the, the actual differences between Japanese wrestling and Western style WWE. <laughs> AEW wrestling. I actually don't know. So, not really much. I'm saying not really much, mostly because Japanese wrestling does take a lot of its influence from America. I know it's a massive surprise, and like when you read into it, you start to realize that people like Carl Gotch, Lou Fez, were really the people that were bringing that style of uh, their style of wrestling over to Japan and giving these guys all of their uh, knowledge. The strong style definitely comes from uh, the rise of Giant Baba and Antonio Inoki, adopting a much more stiffer, striking style, um, complementing uh, the, of course, the catches catch can style, not only of Billy Robinson but of Carl Gotch as well, and the pageantry of Lou Fez. Um, so much so, I think Lou Fez's retirement match was in Japan against Tenryu, and I think Fez must have been about 60 years old when he had that retirement match. <laughs> yeah, I know, I mean, I've my experiences with Japanese wrestling is fairly brief. In fact, if anything, it's pretty much all been over the last, like, year or two. Mm. Um, and one of the ones I've said to uh, these guys is that... Uh, a, the bumps definitely seem to be a lot more intense in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I said, uh, I wouldn't want to take a German suplex at the best of times. I don't want to take a Japanese one. <laughs> Especially from Tomohiro. Because they look you. like they are dropping you straight on your neck. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's so, yeah. so stiff. It's actually... I think because um, my first experience, my first like proper experience with Japanese wrestlers, like like modern Japanese wrestlers, I should say, it was um, Shinsuke Nakamura when he was in NXT. Mm. And that was a revelation for me because I'm looking at this dude and I'm like, is he just straight up punching this man? Like... <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, the, the striking is way more influenced by uh, martial arts styling, most likely that that mm. MMA influence from uh, Inoki. <laughs> I like, mean, when you see them, when you see them throw knees, like they are in proper, they look like they're in proper guard and everything. Um, I'm glad you brought this up as well, Reardon, because another wrestler I kind of highly recommend upon watching is Minoru Suzuki. Now, so I was going to mention him. 
<laughs> Minoru Suzuki, for all intents and purposes, is probably one of the most is the no sorry not one the most scariest man in wrestling right now. <laughs> the man has been around for nearly thirty years, um, and he was one of the very first adopters of shoot style wrestling, which then would end up being what we know as the modern incarnation of mixed martial arts. As a matter of fact. He was one of the um, founders and owners of Pancrase, which was the sh- which was the shoot style promotion in Japan that gave birth not only to the the Shamrock Brothers but Bars Room as well. And um... back, 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 back up, back up. Sorry, pause for a second. Do we have. <laughs> Yes, he's responsible for Ken Shamrock. Is that what you're saying? Yes, he's actually also responsible for the worldwide yeah. success of Bars Rutten as well. Dear God, all right. <laughs> Suzuki is the only easy and accomplished martial artist. He is a one of the most respected wrestlers, I think, uh, walking walking the earth. Um, he's a scary man, and he will not pull punches. Um, I mean, this man is so popular, right? That he is to date the only wrestler that has had a character made after him and voiced by him in One Piece. Oh, oh my God! Now, I highly recommend to anyone if you want to know more about Minoru Suzuki. Not only is he an intimidating man, he's an absolute goofball. Not only does he appear in wacky game shows being an idiot, but he also appears in One Piece being an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, I absolutely love Minoru Suzuki, just because of like the the transition between like because um, he did a blood sport match with Josh Barnett, didn't he? Correct, and that was um, an amazing match if you've not seen. Absolutely it. fucking brutal. Um, and then I've seen like other ones of his stuff, the chops. <laughs> yes. Just like. I just look at people and I'm like, how is your chest just not, like, bleeding profusely from this? I've had the great pleasure of seeing Suzuki live um, twice, actually. Once in RPW in York Hall, but uh, another time was uh, at the Royal Quest a couple of years ago uh, at the Copper Box when he faced Okada for the title. And it still never fails to amaze me just how incredibly stiff he is but also very respectful of his opponent T- to a certain extent he'll still kick your head in if you if you if you cross the line one too many times as a matter of fact if you see a clip of Kenny Omega during the G1 climax of all of them during the press conference he's he's incredibly terrified of Suzuki and Suzuki notices and just pats him on the shoulder and walks off Kenny Omega absolutely bricking it, 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 it. Is- worth saying as well it's incredible seeing someone doing what he does at his age as well absolutely um as as i'm aware he's in the kind of final kind of moments of his career so i say to anyone if you want to see a guy right now go watch suzuki another person i want to talk about as well is probably my favorite wrestler in new japan right now and has been for a very long time it's tetsuya naito now, Hell, yeah. the story of Naito is a very interesting one. Now, Naito was supposed to be the successor to uh, Tanahashi. Uh, um, so much so that he kind of had a very similar look to him. He had a very similar gimmick. He was not only like was... So Tanahashi was the high fly flow, the ace of New Japan. Uh, uh, Naito's nickname was he was the Stardust Genius. So kind of having a very similar kind of... Uh, take to Tanahashi. So much so, actually, that uh, Naito had a very similar, if not kind of 
copy of uh, Tanahashi's uh, finisher, the High Fly Flow, which is a frog splash. Naito had a corkscrew f- uh, uh, backflip frog splash called the Stardust Press. The reason I bring this up is because his gimmick was very stale and he was just a good boy who liked to wrestle. So much so that when he won the Never Openweight Championship and the G1 Climax, he was met with rapturous indifference. Actually, it was absolute silence he was met with. A lot of people were just like, oh, he's just Tanahashi, he's not going to amount to anything, oh, what do you do? Like, we've seen this already before. And so, kind of fueled by that, Naito goes off to, to Mexico to CMML uh, to kind of just hone his craft a little bit more. And this is where he meets La Sombra, or as we now know him as, Andrade Cien Almas. Oh, hell yeah. And formed, and becomes part of his stable known as Los Ingobernables. He develops a new kind of like Rudo heel, Mexican heel persona. He where he's sarcastic, he doesn't give a damn about anyone except himself, very disrespectful to his opponents. And it's all about respect for his brothers in, El- in Los Ingobernables. So with that no in, like with that new passion and that new gimmick, he comes back to Japan and it basically just kind of has an absolute resurgence in popularity. He forms his own offshoot stable of Los Ingobernables, known as Los Ingobernables de Japón. He starts developing kind of integrating more kind of like Spanish themes into his gimmick. He is now kind of like the leader of this gang. He starts having impassioned promos in Spanish as well. And his, his stock keeps going up and up. The audience starts noticing the matches he's having, not only against people like Ishii, but Okada, Tanahashi, the tag matches he's having with LIJ, the matches he's having with Styles. Slowly and surely, he's building up that popularity. So he wins the World Heavyweight Championship at one point, and doing what he did with the crowd disrespecting him the time he won the Never Open Weight Championship... He does the exact same thing to the title, flings it across the air, kicks it along his way to the ring, smashes the title. He has no respect for New Japan and for the New Japan fans for what they did to him. But people were still cheering for him. And so with this new kind of like after he loses the title, people want him to see become champion again. And thus starts, I guess... This is the reason why I can't pick a match for Naito, because the storyline of Naito is one that you should definitely go and and hunt and look for and segment these matches as well. He took like a a near four to five year journey to not only get the title back, but to get to the place he knows he belongs, which is the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, that a goddamn slow burn storyline. It was a very... I mean, it started off with Naito being, by public vote, being voted out of the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. And that's, that was where his kind of resentment for fans came from. And so, slowly but surely, he would have a main event here. Or he'd have a match here at Wrestle Kingdom that was close to the main event. Then at Wrestle Kingdom 12... I think the same, no, Wrestle Kingdom 13 actually, the same one where Jericho and Omega met for the first time. The main event, of course, is Okada versus Naito. Well, this could be the moment. Finally, he wins the World Heavyweight Championship. Falls short. Becomes Intercontinental Champion and then has to fight off Jericho in the next Wrestle Kingdom. He 
wins. Surprisingly wins after a, a, a hard, stiff match involving a lot of tables from Jericho. And then, of course, we go to this year's um, Wrestle Kingdom where the Intercontinental and Heavyweight titles are on the line. And for the first time, Wrestle Kingdom is two nights. And Naito, in a kind of probably one of the most fairy tale endings you could have, wins the big one. He wins both titles and is now the undisputed champion. I remember I remember texting Reardon, I think messaging Reardon actually about this and re- and, and just realising how much of a big moment this was for me, being a massive fan of Naito and realising he finally is there. He's finally reached the peak, the mountaintop that everyone's been wanting for Naito for so long. Um, so yeah, I can't recommend one match from Naito. I honestly, if you want to kind of go through and watch any match from Naito, go for the five-year arc that he's had. Um, yeah, Naito, I think you can tell Naito's one of my favourites. <laughs> you mentioned it, I do remember you gushing over it and me going, cool. <laughs> uh, if only you knew, Reardon. If only you knew. Yeah, I had no god idea. But I'm like, I'm going. I'm going to let him do this, and then he's going to tucker himself out eventually. <laughs> eventually, eventually. Um, so those are the people you should be definitely looking for, uh, in terms of like the big names um, in Japanese wrestling or in New Japan as of right now. But if you want to go again, be adventurous and dip your toes. I guess, man, like in the '90s, there are so many people I could mention: Masahiro Chono, the great Sasuke. The Great Muta. I could go on and on, but there's one person I have to bring up, and I think it's probably one of the most accessible wrestlers of that time, and has been, I think, for the past 20 years. And that's Jushin Thunder Liger. Hell yeah, it's Jushin Thunder Liger. Now, I know... (laughs) Jushin Thunder Liger was... A character or a gimmick based off an anime known as Jushin Riger, and given to uh, a rest, uh, given oh I can for love of me keep forgetting Liger's name. This is me where I am starting to now have to bring up Liger um, here. His name has been lost to time. He is only the mask now. Well, he true. is only Jushin under Liger. <laughs> true. Uh, Katie Yamada, that's it. Because uh, the only reason I bring that up is because he was trained, funny enough, by Stu Hart, of all people. Uh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, before he actually became Liger, he actually did an excursion to World of Sports. Uh, funny enough, he was actually known as Fuji Yamada. Uh, this was a time, of course, where um, political correctness was out of the window because of magic. Because they had a lot of Japanese. I remember one Japanese wrestler being called Sammy Lee and had the Bruce Lee gimmick. Oh, yeah. Again, don't worry. I mean, British wrestling was a very different thing in the nineteen eighties. But yes. after he came back, he was given this gimmick of like, "Do you want to be this anime character?" Sure. He goes, "Let's see how it works out." Cut to 20 years later, he's one of the most influential junior heavyweights in all the professional wrestling. One of the most respected competitors to ever grace that ring. The innovator of so many moves. One of them, of course, being the shooting star press. Which, funnily enough, was he was inspired by Fist of the North star, funnily enough. Of course. <laughs> and, uh, again, this is a man who not only um, did all of that, but back in the 90s, he uh, beat brain cancer. 
and came back to wrestle for 15 more years. Yes, it's insane. So, again, there is not one match I could mention about Liger, but I guess if you want to have a great starting point, go and watch his takeover match against Tyler Breeze. Uh, I know it's not a New Japan match, but I know a lot of people will probably be like, oh, I can't find any matches with Liger in them. I say, well, go watch that match. Because honestly, even though he's in the later years of his career, he still goes. And he could still and he could still go and put on an amazing match. It's incredible to know that probably one of Tyler Breeze's probably best moments in WWE was that he's the only one to have ever been in the ring with Liger in a WWE ring. That is impressive. Yeah, I will say one of the things, if you do want to uh, <clears throat> look up any of them, is I believe he did have some matches in uh, WCW. Indeed, he had some uh, That should be uh, available around there. Go um, watch the matches he had with I Ultimo Dragon. Remember, hmm. I believe he had a series of matches with uh, Psychosis. Psychosis, uh, Ultimo Dragon, and he had a couple of matches with Rey Mysterio. Again, highly recommend. He's actually, funny fact, he was the, he had the very first match in WCW Monday Night Nitro against Brian Pillman. Uh, again, that was an amazing match. What's so funny about that is that Pillman's probably one of his best American oppo- opponents he ever had. Um, and funny enough, there was a rumour going around that AEW when they were on TNT that they were trying to get Liger to come in to face Brian Pillman Jr. to be the first match for AEW. <laughs> but yeah, it's a shame that didn't happen. That's the first timeline. <laughs> it's a shame that didn't happen, but it is what it is. But as I said, Liger is incredible and I can't think of a a legend in the 90s that was as big or as influential as Liger. Masahiro Chono, yeah, definitely. I mean, he had that appeal being a member of the NWO and then forming NWO Japan and of course him having the very infamous theme song that starts off... Actually, no, I'm not going to actually repeat what it starts with because we've got Reardon here. Um... Oh. Oh boy. Oh no. All I'm saying is that he's considered the only Japanese person to get the N-word pass because his theme song has that word on it at the beginning. What? (laughs) Right, no. All I'm saying is, once this this recording's done, chime in Masahiro Chono theme song, or I'll link it to you after this is done. Yeah, link that to me. Okay, like, is, is it just straight up says it, or is it like one of those cases where it's like a word that sounds like it? No, it straight up says it starts off with nice classical okay. music and then starts with "f y'all n words wanna do." Oh my god! <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I am intrigued. <laughs> I will link that to you afterwards. But no, that's not the only good thing about Chono. May I just add, he is a he was a, he, an amazing technical. Uh, wrestler with a great high-flying caliber but unfortunately he suffered the same injury that Steve Austin had uh, when he was pile driven on top of his head funnily enough by Steve Austin oh my god so that is an incredible turnabout of events when it started off with Austin doing the sit out pile driver and then Owen Hart does the exact same thing to Austin several years later (laughs) so uh, yeah um Liger, that's all I'm going to say. If you want to go into the 90s, Liger's your best bet. 
So I got I got a question. That's all well and good, Sam. <laughs> all well and good. But considering we're on the talk about masked wrestlers, what are the masked wrestlers like in New Japan? Wow, who do I begin with? Like as I said, Great Sasuke was probably the technical, the, the much technical better version of uh, of uh, of Sabu. <laughs> The same could be said for uh, for Hayabusa, but I guess if you want to have another kind of wrestler who is as legendary as Liger, Tiger Mask, and every kind of every incarnation of Tiger Mask. Tiger Mask. Yeah. Tiger Mask because I play Tekken and I love Tekken. (laughs) So we we could start with um, Satoru Sayama, the first one, or we can talk about Mitsuharu Misawa. The second incarnation, or we could talk about Kota Ibushi, who was the latest version of Tiger Mask. But uh, honestly, as I said, if you want to go and watch Tiger Mask, I'd say, you know, go and watch his series of matches against Dynamite Kid. If you want to get a really good inclination of just how influential, not only influential Liger was, but Tiger Mask was to junior heavyweight wrestling. Ugh. So, any more questions that you have, lads? Uh, this isn't a question per se, but can I take a moment to mention Bullet Club? Absolutely. So, for those that don't know, Bullet Club started as a stable or a faction of non-Japanese wrestlers com- that competed in New Japan. And... Pretty much being a heel in Japan is just not abiding by the standards of Japanese wrestling. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I guess in a way you can see them as very kind of NWO-esque in a weird way. I mean, to a to a very certain to, extent. Like to a very certain extent, but um, <laughs> it's like too sweet. you know, <laughs> I mean, they have the yeah, they have the same hand gesture. Um, I just kind of like they they kind of brought in, you know, this kind of, you know, we're too good for Japan style. We do our own thing. Mm. Screw you. We're here to win. We don't care about respect. Yep. Uh, I mean, I think that all kind of is accredited to uh, Bala. Actually, or Prince Devitt. As Bala, you know. or um, his, yep, Prince Devitt. Uh, his uh, incarnation yeah. with uh, with the Good Brothers, with Tamatonga yep. and Bad Luck Farley, is is the OG one. Probably one of the probably the the best incarnation. I, sh- mm, I say that, but then we got the Bucks and Kenny. So and with Styles as well. So I was gonna say because a lot of people like the Styles incarnation. The moment you said that, I just saw the tweet, Sam. Like, <laughs> yeah, same, same. So you know what? I'm gonna be remain Sweden. I think those two incarnations are probably the best versions of Bullet Club for yeah. sure. Bullet Club's in a weird position as of as of this recording in terms of its kind of like its its members. Um, you know, I, I I mean, I'm not to say that any of these guys are bad as well, but when you know, there's a lot of members in there. The OG members are still... Some of the OG members that stayed in New Japan are still there. Um, Jay White, I think, is a, an amazing heel. I know a lot of people, uh, you know, don't rate Jay White high. 
um, especially when he was champion. But I think Jay Wyatt was an amazing uh, heel, and I think I... Jay Wyatt is silly. <laughs> I think Jay White is a great leader for Bullet Club, if I'm honest. Uh, but of course, a lot of people have been, are very confused right now that Evil, who was part of Los and Goblin yes. is now a member of Bullet Club and uh, undisputed champion. So, Bullet Club's yeah, a weird we do just want to clarify this. This guy's wrestling name is literally just Evil, and his catchphrases, everything is Eva. <laughs> Like, like that. There, there's, there's nothing missing from here. His name is literally just evil. And no, he is not Takamichinoku. Which, funny enough, Takamichinoku is still wrestling, but he's part of Suzuki Goon, oh. Minoru Suzuki's faction. Hell yeah, Minoru Suzuki and Takamichinoku. Hell yeah. Yes, I mean, as as we know that uh, two members of 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 Suzuki Goon are current tag champions, Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr., which, by the way, they have the best tag team name in all of wrestling at the moment. They're called Dangerous Techers. I don't care what anyone says, that's the best tag name in wrestling at the moment. The funny thing about that is, it's in Japan, but it sounds so British. I mean, that makes sense because Zack Sabre Jr. is from the UK, but like... I'm happy that they've introduced the concept of the word Techers to Japan. Yep. Thank you so much. He's 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 waving the flag not only of England but of Kent. Very proud is Zach. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. So Bullet Club is in a very weird position. I think just I think just in general, I think wrestling as a whole is in a very weird position. Um, but to can kind of bring it back around to where we were, New Japan have been going strong. They've just had the New Japan Cup. They've just literally announced, as of this recording, the G1 Climax taking place. They're still putting on shows. They're still pushing talent, not only of their own homegrown talent, but with the LA Dojo now. Um, all I'm saying of the LA Dojo right now is look out for Gabriel Kidd. Uh, another homegrown talent of this country went over to LA to hone his craft. Um, most people probably know that name from what Culture Pro Wrestling but I feel like Gabriel Kidd has gone leaps and bounds to when he once was at WCPW, and I think the sky's the limit for the guy. He he put on an amazing showing at the New Japan Cup, so and he's British, so you know we've got to look out for our British wrestlers on this podcast for sure. Um, so yeah, I think now, honestly, kind of like the way they've been going for the past ten years, now's probably the best time, better than ever, to go and look. And see what New Japan have been doing. Absolutely. Enough. I think now we're in a time where it's so <laughs> easy, so much, it's so much easier to like look out at stuff and find new things. And New Japan is definitely a thing worth finding. Absolutely. And thus concludes my TED talk uh, <laughs> 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 of all about New Japan. I know that wasn't that is a very shorter uh, episode that we had, but uh, I could have gone on for ages, and I was trying to kind of restrict myself to just doing bullet points because I could have gone down rabbit hole upon rabbit hole upon rabbit hole of everything. But if you want an exclude, like a more kind of big um, history of you know, Japanese wrestling, as I said, check out Chris Chelton and his two books, Lion's Pride and Eggshells. Again, massive help in researching for all this and blooming good reads. Cheapest chips on Amazon as well, so no one has any excuse. Hell yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, that concludes the episode of The Guide to New Japan. I'm guessing, did I do an okay job in kind of letting you guys have at least a, a morsel into New Japan? Yeah, 
I would say so. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, it's good to like. It, it, it's a good thing because it allows me an excuse to basically get off off my ass and actually look up some of these guys. <laughs> Especially, I, I think of all of them. I think Liga is one where I, I like, I need to know about this guy. Otherwise, no, you need to watch his matches. Yeah, otherwise, frankly, I shouldn't be on this podcast. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you know, no pressure. You know, no, all the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like he's one of my favorite wrestlers. Of... Oh wait, no, he is. No. <laughs> so no pressure. No, I'm, I'm glad that I've gave you guys at least a little kind of like start as to kind of going through the 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 great morsel. Uh, the great noodle bowl that is New Japan Pro Wrestling, <laughs> and so again to anyone who's listening, if you don't if you don't understand or are upset that we didn't talk about all Japan in great detail, trust me, we will get to all Japan soon enough, and I will be. We talking have about a wrestling. whole section dedicated to talking about different promotions. <laughs> Indeed, we have, um, and so yeah, that concludes this episode of uh, of the Sweet Chinwa Podcast. Dan, what is the next episode again? Coming up next week is gimmick matches. Ooh. Best words. Oh, man. Do we get to talk about the Punjabi prison match in great detail? No, we do not. Hey, you get to pick whatever the hell you want to. Apart from that, I draw the line. Because, <laughs> oh, Reardon, Reardon, come on. You're talking about us here. And it's time for us to have a discussion about the X on a pole match. Oh, crumbs. <laughs> Did someone say King of the Mountain? Oh. No, we don't talk about the dog kennel match. Oh. San Francisco 49ers? Oh. Oh. I don't know. Right, 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 right. We're we'll ending we'll this episode immediately right now. All that's left for me to say. Is thank you for joining us. I've been Sam. I'm, 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 I'm shutting you both down. Cesaro should go to New Japan. This has been Dan. This has been Reardon. And you have been listening to the Sweet Chinware podcast. Until next time, we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Okada. Lariato.